have one of the blue or one of the black Bibles in front of you, and I believe that Ephesians chapter four is on page nine nineteen. As we look back into this passage that we looked at last week. Now, have you ever found yourself repeating a line from a movie? You're in a situation, and all of a sudden, it's just like it just pops out of your head. Now, when you're a Christian, that can be dangerous. And if you're a pastor that came to Christ later in life, that can be really dangerous. Because all of a sudden, these lines, these lines from movies that probably shouldn't be coming out of your mouth come out. But there's one line, there is one movie, there is one scene that is forever burned in my mind. It's from The Passion of the Christ. In fact, if you've seen the movie, you know this scene. Jesus has he's been arrested, he's been wrongly accused, he's been beaten, he's been spit upon, he's been crowned with a crown of thorns, he's been mocked, he's been whipped within inches of his death, and then he's nailed to a sinner's cross. And as he's hanging on this cross, you see the high priest walking by with this look of disdain and victory on his face. And Jesus looks down at him and says, Father, forgive them for they know what, not what they do. Stunning. This high priest had set into motion the death, the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. And here he is looking down and saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But that's not just for the high priest. Those words are for you. Those words are for me. Father, forgive them. See, our sin put Jesus on the cross. His blood was shed to forgive us of our sins, to cover our sins, past, present, and future. We are as culpable as that high priest, yet Jesus says, Father, forgive them. We all need forgiveness. All of us. Why? Because the Bible says we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned, and our sin has separated us from God. Our sin separates us from one another, and that's why we need forgiveness. So the message today I've titled, The Need Forgiveness, for forgiveness, and the big idea of this message is this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. And it's not original. It comes from Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, which says, as As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you, if you are in Christ, Christ has forgiven you all of your sins, past, present, and future. And so as Christ has forgiven you, so you also must do. And as a forgiven child of God, we are called to be forgivers. When we receive Christ by faith, something unbelievable happens. All of our sins have been forgiven, washed away. But the fact is, we will continue to sin. And that's why I love 1 John 1, 9. I'm going to put this on the screen. You hear me quote it all the time. 
But this is the antidote for our ongoing sin because we will sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Cleansed once again. That is the grace, that is the mercy of our God. It gets us back onto a right relationship with God. It gets us on the right path. So what do we learn about forgiveness from this passage? Well, first of all, we learn this. Fallen people hurt people. Fallen people hurt people. Now, we live in a fallen world. Ever since the garden, where Adam and Eve fell in the garden, there's been sin, there's been hurt. Last week, we studied in depth Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. And today, I want to focus on verse 32, but let me read this passage again. And help you understand why maybe Paul wrote this. Therefore, verse 25, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And then this, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. In this passage, we are told to put off, to put away lying, unrighteous anger, stealing, corrupt words. Why? Because it's sin. They damage our intimacy with God. They damage our relationship with others. I mean, think about this for a minute. If someone were to lie to you or steal something from you, or speak really hurtful words against you, or have this piercing anger against you, what does that do to your relationship? It impacts it. It creates a separation. But see, that's what our lying and anger, sinful anger and stealing and corrupt words do with our relationship with God, and that's what it does with others. breaks our relationship. And we live in a broken world filled with abuse, with immorality, with abandonment, with loss, with divorce, with betrayal, with all kinds of hurts. We live in a fallen world where hurt people hurt other people. And you may be experiencing that right now. Maybe you've experienced that in the past. And as a result, we carry around burdens. Burdens as a result of us hurting somebody else, and that's weighing us down, or the burden of having been hurt by somebody, and we've not dealt with it properly. Often we just try to bury the pain, thinking, I got this. But know this, suppressing the pain Trying to suppress the results of your sin will one day catch up with you. And that's why we need forgiveness. 
And because we live in a fallen world and hurt people hurt people, we need what? Forgiveness. So that's the first thing we learn, the first lesson. Here's the second lesson. Your pain will reveal itself. It will manifest itself. It's going to come out one way or another. If it's not dealt with properly, it will come up. In fact, when you look at verse 32, it is written in the context of verse 31. Notice what 31 says. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. It is those items right there that can cause a separation between you and God, between you and others. And he says, put them away. But then he reminds you, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Listen, if you hold on to your hurts, if you don't deal with sin, it becomes this root. It becomes a root and it becomes a weed in your soul. Now, it doesn't rain much in Phoenix, but when it does, if you've not put any type of pre-emergent down in your rocks, what happens after the rain? You get weeds. And so to get rid of those weeds, you either need to spray it or you need to pull it up. But if you just pull the top off, what happens? It comes back. And it comes back worse. And let me tell you something. That's what a lot of people do with their sin. It just, or with the pain from sin, the pain from, from a hurt. Or the, you know, when, when they've been hurt, they just, they just like, man, I'm just going to cut it off at the top. But I'm not dealing with it at the root. Hebrews talks about that. Hebrews chapter 12. Let me put it up on the screen. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be, may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. To be healed. Strive for peace with everyone. Peace without forgiveness is impossible. True peace. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It separates us from the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no, here it is, root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. It's when you have this root of bitterness that you've just pushed away, you've swept under the rug, you've, you've shoved in a closet. If it's not dealt with, it can reemerge. And this root of bitterness can reemerge in a lot of different ways. It can reemerge as, as tension or distrust, insensitivity, pride, anxiety, gossip, strife, revenge, withdrawal, fear, anger, despair, jealousy, sadness, or depression get a really clear picture of that in Genesis chapter 4. Remember Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel, two brothers? The Lord told the brothers to bring an offering. And it says that God was pleased with the offering of Abel, but with Cain's offering, he was not pleased. There had been a, there had been a command. Abel was, uh, was obedient to that command. Cain wasn't. 
And so it says that because God was not pleased with Cain's offering, it says that his face fell. In fact, it was because of his disobedience and not dealing with it, it's the first example of depression in the Bible. It says his face fell. And then we see in in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, it says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. God was giving, giving Cain an opportunity to deal with the sin, to get right, to seek forgiveness. And he didn't. And there was a root of bitterness that sprang up. And when you follow along in the rest of Genesis chapter 4, you see this disobedience led to anger, led to depression, and to murder. He murdered his brother, lying, and disrespect for God, and exile, and separation. And all he had to do was what God had offered him. If you do well, will you not be accepted? But that's the offer that God gives each one of us with regard to forgiveness. So, Why do we need forgiveness? First, because fallen people hurt people. Secondly, because your pain will reveal itself. But then here's the good news. Third, forgiveness allows you to move forward. Forgiveness allows you to move forward. See, forgiveness breaks the chains that hold you back, the chains that keep you down, the chains that separate you from God. Look again at verse 32. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And the fact is, if you're a victim of a past wrong, you cannot put your past behind you unless you forgive the person that wronged you. Let me just step back for a minute and say this. This is a really tough message. Because sometimes the hurts that have been perpetrated against us can cut really deep. And this goes against our, it goes against our, 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 our nature. But the problem is we have a sin nature. So that's why it's so important to see this as God's grace towards us. He's offering us a pathway to, to move forward and not to be held back. So what does it mean to forgive? It means to cancel a debt. It means to cease to feel resentment. It means to send away, to to wipe away. It is releasing someone from the penalty of their sin. It's an act of pardon. On the flip side, unforgiveness is the refusal to release someone from an obligation. It's a refusal. Now, Pam and I met, it was a glorious day, we met in 1990, and we started dating right away, and um, I found Pam owned her own business in Nevada, they had a very large development business, and she was telling me this story about her bookkeeper, Nita, who had embezzled $300,000 from her, and I'm thinking, that's a lot of money. And shortly after we got married, um, there was a settlement, and the settlement was Nita, Nita was told to pay her $100 a month to pay off the debt. Now, if you're a math major, you're thinking, that's 250 years. I'm thinking, wow, 
That's amazing. Every month, we get a $100 check. Every month. We move to Dallas, we get saved, and one day Pam comes in to me and she goes, you know, Bill, this is enough. She says, I really feel the Lord telling me I need to forgive Nita and cancel the debt. She says, what do you think? And I said, I think it's the right thing to do. And she calls up Nita, who was really surprised to hear from her. And Pam says, listen, I've become a Christian. And I realize that the Lord has forgiven me all of my sins. And she says, I want to forgive you of your debt. You owe me nothing else. Your, your debt is forgiven. I wasn't on the line, but I can only imagine Nita and what that must have been for her. And the money was gone. I mean, she, was, she had a gambling problem. But the fact is, it was that act of forgiveness that all of a sudden restored that relationship. It wasn't the same, but it restored it. And it says here, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How did God in Christ forgive us? Unconditionally, without condition. Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In fact, I love what Psalm 103, 12 says. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's pretty amazing. In fact, I won't put it on the screen, but listen to what Isaiah 38, 17 says. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness But in love, you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction because you have cast all my sins behind your back. See, when when God forgives us, it's as if he puts our sins behind our back. They're no more. That's what the Lord does for us. That's how we are to forgive one another. And you might be sitting here thinking, yeah, but you don't understand what happened to me. And you know, you're probably right, I don't. But my heart breaks for just the pain some of you have had to go through. But here's what I do know. Jesus understands. Because he knows. He knows everything. And the fact is, Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. And yet, he was falsely accused. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was whipped. He was crucified on a sinner's cross. He understands what you feel, and it is him who is saying, your unforgiveness is keeping you in bondage. It is keeping you from moving forward. And the fact is, because of your unforgiveness, you're in spiritual chains, and you will not be moved forward. You will not be unshackled and released from the bondage of your forgiveness until, of your unforgiveness, until you forgive, which leads us to this. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. I'm going to have you, I don't do it often because we go verse by verse through the Bible, but I'm going to turn, have you turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, and if you have one of the black Bibles, Matthew chapter 18 is on page 773. And this is, these are the words of Jesus. And the fact 
When we get to Matthew chapter 18, in verse 15, Jesus says, he said these words. He says, if your brother sins against you, he's dealing with a sinning brother. If your brother sins against you, and in that moment, I'm just thinking Peter can't get beyond those words. He might have been thinking of a friend. He might have been thinking, thinking of a neighbor. He might have been thinking of a, of a business partner who sinned against him. He's distracted by those words, and it prompts a question that we see in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now you're thinking, man, this Peter, wow, seven times. But he's showing pride here. If you understood the, uh, the, the Jewish culture in the time, if you forgave somebody three times, you have shown yourself to be a man of God. So Peter decides, I'm just going to multiply that by two, add one to it just to show that I'm really spiritual. Waiting for a, an attaboy from Jesus. Jesus tells him, I'm not going to give you a number. In fact, grace and mercy are infinite. Your question makes no sense, Peter. You can't quantify how often and how much grace and mercy you've received. Look what he says in verse 22. He says, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven. What was Jesus saying? There's no limit. As often as your brother sins against you, you forgive him. And this leads to the telling of a parable. So we're going to go through this parable. Look at verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So it's a reminder that there will be a settling of accounts. There will be a day of standing before the Lord and, and, and settling of accounts. Verse 24. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who, who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, first of all, this gentleman is a servant of the king. And he owes 10,000 talents. Now, if you have a Bible with textual notes, you can see down at the bottom that a talent was about 20 years worth of wages. He owed 10,000 talents. So let's say this servant was a well-paid servant and made $50,000 a year. Times 10,000 talents, that would have been 200,000 years of wages or about $10 billion. The debt is unpayable. The situation is hopeless. There is no way he's going to be able to pay for it. I mean, it's worse than our situation. It would take 250 years for needed to pay us back $100 a month. This would take longer, 200,000 years. So in verse 25, we see the judgment. And since he could not pay... His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. This is the judgment. He had to pay with his life. He had to pay with his family's life. A hopeless situation. But then you see verse 26, and it's almost, it makes you laugh because of how ridiculous it is. Look at verse 26. 
So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now I'm just wondering, how patient does the king have to be? $10 billion. He'll never be able to pay even a fraction of what he owed to the king. This was a plea for mercy. And this is our condition before God. When we stack up our sins and the cost against God, we realize that when we've been forgiven for our sins, it is a debt. He has canceled a debt we could never pay back. It's an amazing thing to even think about. We can do nothing but beg for mercy. So the king doesn't meet his proposal He exceeds it. He does what only God can do. He cancels the debt. Look at verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the the debt. Now, I don't know about you, but if that was me, I mean, I can only just imagine the joy and the relief The understanding of this grace and mercy. I mean, what if somebody were to come up to you and say, tell me what your mortgage is if you have a mortgage. I'm going to pay it off. You'd be pretty excited. You'd have a little pep in your step. And I believe that's what happened is he's leaving the king's castle. He's got this pep in his step. Man, I've just been released of this debt that I could never pay back. I, I, I was facing prison. I was facing condemnation. Yet there is no more condemnation. I'm free. And then he rounds the corner and he sees someone. Look at verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So there's this shift in verse 28. It says, but... And you go from this vertical relationship, the servant and the king, now to this horizontal relationship, a servant and a servant. The king released him of his debt. Yet there's a man that owed him 100 denarii. 100 denarii, a denarii is one day's worth of wage. So he owed him 100 days worth of wages. Maybe, maybe I don't know, $18,000. He grabs the guy by the neck. Pay what you owe. It was shocking to the senses. How could he be so harsh? How could he be so unmerciful? Verse 29, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Recognize those words? Those were the same words that the the servant had begged the king for. This is our story. We are like this slave when we forget what Christ has done for us, when we don't forgive someone else. So Jesus is responding to Peter's question here. Really, Peter? Based on what Christ has done for you, you're asking me? You want to keep score? You're asking me how often should I uh, uh, um, forgive my brother? But then verse 30, he refused. He refused. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. It doesn't say that he couldn't. It says that he wouldn't. 
He chose not to forgive. He would not. He had received mercy. He had received grace. He had received forgiveness. And he would not give that to somebody else. He was unwilling to reciprocate. But then we see that others are watching this. Look at verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. The master is told everything. The people are outraged. They're greatly distressed. They've seen, here is somebody that has received so much grace and so much mercy, and they're not willing to extend that to anybody else. The lesson becomes clear in verse 32. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Notice what it says. And should you not have had? What would be the answer there? Of course. If you really understood grace, if you understood forgiveness, you would have the same, you would uh, uh, give the same to others. So the judgment comes in verses 34 and 35. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. That word jailers, it could be tormentors. It could be, um, it could be, uh, it's also a word known for um, uh, the, uh, the um, torturers. Until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus is reminding us that if you are unwilling to forgive as Christ has forgiven you, God in Christ has forgiven you, you will be put into spiritual prison. You will be put into spiritual torment until you are willing to forgive the debt. Let me ask you, what are you holding on to? Who are you holding unforgiveness towards? And if you can't, if you say you can't, what you're saying is you won't. And when that happens, you're only making your situation worse. Forgiven people are supposed to be the most forgiving people because they have, for, they have been forgiven a debt they could never pay back. Back to Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. So how do I know if I'm holding on to unforgiveness? Let's get real practical here. How do I know if I'm holding on to unforgiveness? Let me give you four ways, and one or more of these, if they're true, you're probably holding on to unforgiveness. Here's the first one. I continue to remind the person of their sin. It's like, you are good with history lessons. Yeah, I've forgiven you, but remember when you, listen, once you've done it, it's forgiven. It's put behind you. It's over. And I'm telling you, in a marriage, history lessons are not good. You remember when you did this, 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 and this? I mean, if that was me and Pam, we'd, I mean, we'd always be giving each other history lessons. But thankful that's not happening. That's the first one. Here's the second one. I dwell on the, on the offense. 
I mean, it's just, I just, I just continue to dwell on it. It's consuming me. See, that's being put in spiritual prison because you've not forgiven. Third, I find myself talking to others about it. In fact, my skin crawls at the mention of that person's name. I find myself gossiping or slandering or being accusative. Fourth, the thought of them keeps me from joy. Steal my joy. It affects my work or it affects my study or it affects my play. If one or more of the following is true, then there's a good chance you're holding on to unforgiveness. And if you're holding on to unforgiveness, you are in spiritual prison and you are being held back. You can't move forward. And you have a root of bitterness that's going to manifest itself in some way that is probably going to hurt somebody else. So, how do I forgive? Let's take care of this. Let's deal with this. First of all, I pray for God to help me. I pray for God to help. That's the first, you take it to God. Pray for God to help you with it. And then secondly, you go to God. You forget, you, you confess your unforgiveness to God. You're going to be specific. God, I, I confess that I have been that I was angry towards Pam, that I, that I dealt with her in a way that doesn't show that I cherish her. Whatever it is, be specific. Take it to the Lord first. Third, choose to forgive. Remember, forgiveness is a choice. Don't be like that servant who refused Colossians 3.13, as Christ has forgiven you, so you also must do. Remember that you have been forgiven a debt you could never pay back. Say, Father, Heavenly Father, I forgive, I forgive Todd for blank. Write it down, tear it up. Maybe, maybe tape it to his tennis ball that he plays with during service and hit it out of the park. <laughs> He's going to be hearing about that one for a long time. He tried to tell me it wasn't his ball. Right. Fourth. And this is where we have to really get honest. Ask God to forgive you for your wrong responses. See, what can happen is when someone sins against us, our response can be sinful. And we have to be careful because we cannot allow other people's sins against us to be an excuse for our sin. Certainly we want to do that. It feels like it'd be okay. But we're called, in fact, in uh, 1 Peter 2.23, speaking of Jesus, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return, but he continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. Ask God to forgive you for the wrong responses. Write them down. Own them. Don't justify them. Don't justify them. Fifth, 
Ask the person to forgive you for your wrong responses. See, you're dealing with your sin. You're owning your part. Don't bring up with what, don't bring up what you did or what they did. Own your sin and say this. Here, here's, here's the important words. Will you forgive me? Not, I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me? I, I sinned. My responses were wrong. I did this, this, and this. Will you forgive me? Take full responsibility. And I, I truly believe that when you own your sin, and you know, I know it's hard to believe that Pam and I don't have the perfect marriage. There's occasions we have vigorous conversations. And, uh, but the fact is, when we go into our rooms and get back in the Bible and get where we know we need to be, I'm telling you, when one of us owns the sin, it just like just releases everything. It's a great place to be. For sixth, return good for evil. Return good for evil. Again, look at, look at verse 32 of Ephesians chapter 4. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Be kind to one another. What about those who have sinned against me? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Pray for them. Look for ways to bless them. Uh, Romans chapter 12, 18. As much as it depends upon you, live peaceably with your brother. What if they aren't willing to do it? It doesn't matter as long as you do what you're called to do in the eyes of God. We need forgiveness. Why? Because fallen people hurt people. Your pain will reveal itself. Forgiveness allows you to move forward and forgiveness is a choice. But finally, Forgiveness reveals Christ in you. You now are exhibiting the character of Christ when you are a forgiving person because Christ is a forgiver. Look at, verse, look at chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He says, therefore, as a result of everything I've just said, be imitators of God. We are called to be imitators of God as beloved children of God and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When you forgive, you are the most like Christ. And the worst kind of prison is the prison of an unforgiving heart. That's why this is such an important message for us to deal with what is in our hearts. Listen, as a result of your new identity in Christ, you're a child of God. And we imitate God by forgiving as God forgave us. Pam and I were at a pastor's conference this, this week in the Florida Keys. And you're thinking, oh, poor guys. Well, <laughs> yeah, it was great, though. I mean, I, I will say it was, it was great. But Dave Harvey, um, many of you may have heard of him. He wrote a book called um, when sinners say I do, he, he just wrote another book called I Still Do. Dave Harvey is, was, used to be the head of Sojourn Ministries. He's now the uh, president of the Great Commission Collective, an organization we were involved in putting together. And he spoke at the conference, and he related something that I think was so good. He said this, there may be some relationships that won't have resolution. They may never have resolution. 
There may be some relationships that we will not have full closure with. Things can go wrong even if we get everything right. The person might pass away. They may not want to resolve it. That's why Romans 12, 18 says, as much as it depends upon you, live peaceably with your brother. We may think if we get everything right, everything will be okay. But that's just not the way the world works. And that's not what we see in Scripture. In fact, let me put on this screen, Paul, at the end of his life, Paul, the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, unbelievable saint, live for the Lord. At the end of his life, his, his last letter, he's in prison any day. He's going to be executed. And he says this to Timothy. He says, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatian. Luke alone is with me. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand beside me. This is the Apostle Paul. But all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. He lived a life of obedience, yet was alone at the end with relationships that were unresolved. We may not get closure in this life. See, the fact is we're living between the cross and heaven. And it was at the cross that Jesus died for our sins. It was at the cross that we now know that Jesus has vindicated me and I can live with hope. He has met my deepest needs. He has forgiven my sins. He has given me hope of heaven, hope of eternity. So Paul, after recounting all that had deserted him, he says this in 2 Timothy 4, 17. Notice what he says. But the Lord. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me, here it is, safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. See, heaven is where we get closure sometimes. It may not be here on earth, but the fact is, as much as it depends upon you, live peaceably with your brothers. In fact, the lack of closure here on earth could cause us to long more for heaven. And that's a good thing. Come, Lord Jesus, come. The fact is, closure can be overrated when you have a Savior. Jesus. It's overrated when you know you have been forgiven your sins and that heaven is coming. And it is a lack of closures that should deepen our dependence upon him. That's why I love Matthew 18, 11, 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and, and, and burdened. I will give you rest for your souls for my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We find peace and joy and rest 
and hope in the midst of difficult circumstances by, by clinging to our good God. The one who went to the cross for us and died for us. And realizing we don't need to reconcile every relationship. We don't need to bring closure. We just need to be reconciled to God. We need to receive his forgiveness. It doesn't mean that we don't try. But we know that as much as it depends upon us, we live peaceably with others. So I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. And as they come up, I want to ask two questions. Here's the first question. Do you need forgiveness? This is the most important question. Has there been a time that you have received God's forgiveness for your sins? Have you been reconciled to God because you have put your faith and trust in the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says there is salvation in no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. See, if you have not received Christ as Lord and Savior, you are still under condemnation. You are still under the penalty of your sins. You need forgiveness. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, be reconciled to God. Have you been reconciled? Have you received his forgiveness? If you need forgiveness, ask the Lord for it. God, forgive me of my sins. Turn from your sins. It's called repentance. And receive his grace, receive his mercy, receive his forgiveness. But then, here's the second question. Who do you need to forgive? If you want to live a life that brings glory to God, you can't hold on to unforgiveness. Because what you've just done, when we, when we don't forgive and we know we're called to, that's sin. And uh, the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. See, I've been forgiven. When I'm, when I'm in Christ, I've received all the forgiveness I ever need for eternal life, but if I continue in sin and continue in unforgiveness, I now am in a place where it's impacted my relationship with the Lord and impacted my relationship with others. And my prayer is that this would be the most forgiving church in this city. And it would start in your homes. Start with, with your spouse. Start with your children. Start with your parents. Listen, fallen people are going to hurt people. But if you want freedom, the chain's broken. If you want to be able to move forward, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just your word. And uh, we don't have to try to figure out life on our own, but you have given us a guidebook for life. And Father, I pray for a heart of forgiveness. I pray that our hearts would be your hearts. And Lord, I, I just pray if there's anyone here today 
that needs forgiveness, that right now they would be seeking your forgiveness. They would be confessing their sins to you, Lord. They would, they would be confessing the, the fact that their sin is what put you on the cross. And they would ask you for forgiveness and they would ask you to come into their life to save them, to change them, to cleanse them. And Father, for those of us that might have unresolved conflicts because we haven't sought forgiveness or we haven't granted forgiveness, I pray, Lord, that even now we would commit to do that. As much as it depends upon us, I pray we would live peaceably with our brothers and sisters. For your glory and yours alone, in Jesus' name I pray, amen.